Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by the one, the only, the best Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club, connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. Today, I'm catching up with my good friend and longtime Cub member, Zane McIntyre. Zane is the co-founder and the CEO of The Commission Factory, Australia's largest affiliate marketing platform. Basically, the Commission Factory connects online retailers with affiliates or influencers, allowing the online retailers to sell more products and allowing affiliates to make some commission. Zane and me discussed his incredible story of how he got the company to where it is today, uh, owning over 60% of the affiliate marketing market here in Australia. And he, he took us through some of the greatest lessons he's had in that time. He's a fascinating guy, a young entrepreneur and a super successful dude. I had a great conversation with him. So enjoy the show. And we're live. Welcome to the show, Zane. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. I'm, uh, I was just saying, I haven't seen you in a while. You've been a member for so many, what, three years now? Yeah. Must yeah. be even over. Yeah, maybe about three years. Yeah, it's crazy. That's right. It? But I definitely haven't been um, been in the clubhouse this year. This year. Since, uh, since, so I started uh, my year off overseas. Yeah. Um, I was traveling over there for work and basically by the time I came back, we were in the thick of coronavirus. So yeah, I've been at home. Did you fly? Were you? Did you fly back in from overseas while Corona was happening? At just at the start of it, actually. Yeah. So um, I, I was actually nervous about going to the US because I was there in Vegas for a conference, and right at that time was you know I'm hearing whispers about this virus, and um, Trump was also having words with Iran, and so there was mm. stuff going on there. So yeah. I was really nervous about even going to the USA. Yeah. But um, I got back about back into Australia, maybe about the start of February, like about the fifth or sixth of, of Feb. Yeah. And um, and it wasn't really long. Oh, that's the same that. as me. I was okay. almost I, I maybe even that exact date. Mm. I was in Israel. Yeah. When Trump was having words with Iran. Right. Do I was doing a, a four week martial arts fight camp mm. and then all of a sudden Trump's having picking on Iran. Iran. I'm, like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Oh, yeah, it was scary. It I was left. scary. I, yeah. I really just didn't want to be in the US at that time because yeah. too much seemed like it was happening. Australia was on fire at that yeah. stage yes. as well. The bushfires were still, yeah. still going. Um, so, yeah, I just really didn't want to be out of the country, but I did it. But um, now that's turning out it might be my only overseas trip, trip this year. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, did you know Cub raised, uh, or the members, sorry, donated about 40 grand to um, to a business owners who lost their business in the bushfires? Oh, really? Yeah, isn't a, that cool? That's a big number. Yeah. We haven't we haven't celebrated it yet. We actually haven't donated it yet. We're doing that in two weeks. All right. Because, yeah, what happened was well, after, well, right after, yeah, <laughs> after we raised it, COVID here, we couldn't – we wanted to go hand right. the checks out ourselves. And, oh, right. Okay, so, yeah, and seeing as you can't even shake hands right now. No, we're, so we're going to do that soon, I think, in the next two weeks. But mm-hmm. but for the listeners who don't know, I know many of the members know you, Yeah. Um, Zane is the CEO of the Commission Factory, which is Australia's largest uh, affiliate marketing uh, company. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the extent of which I'm going to be able to describe it well. So why didn't you explain to everyone uh, exactly what affiliate marketing is? Right. So affiliate marketing is a marketing discipline. Um, it's utilized by far more companies than than you would be aware of if you haven't been dabbling in it before. But we as a network, 
we are a middleman between online retailers and service providers and affiliates. So the affiliates um, can be such a broad um, type in how they, they might promote our online retailers in return for a commission. So they can be bloggers who just have, you know, a great news blog like the Mamma Mia's and Stay at Home Mum and those types of guys who, mm-hmm. who have these great content blogs, but they need to monetize that content as well, you know, in order to earn a living and, uh, you know, in the, the, the running costs of these websites. So, so they might promote our online retailers in return for a commission. And um, we facilitate those relationships. So an affiliate comes on, logs onto our platform, sees a, an online retailer that's relevant to their audience and decides to or applies to the ad, online retailer. And then, you know, if all, all is well and they're accepted, then they can start promoting that online retailer um, on their blog and for a commission base. So, well. you, yeah, you, like you said, you're the middleman between an online retailer and uh, essentially an influencer of of any principle, of mm-hmm. any sort, whether it be a blogger or an Instagram influencer. Or, yeah, that's right. And and so is your client clients mm-hmm. both the influence the affiliates mm-hmm. and the online retailers? Yeah. So yeah. You, you count them both as your clients? That's right. They're both our clients. And so we have, you know, anywhere up to about I think forty thousand, I think was the last number in terms Jeez. of affiliates. And so that's global, you know. There's no there's no borders on this, so that you know they 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 can be from anywhere in the world, mm. you know. Well, as long as there's no sanctions on those countries, otherwise we can't pay them their commissions. <laughs> yeah. um, and then the online retailers sorry, Iran. as well. Yeah, it's like sorry, Iran. Yeah, we we, we probably can't help you right now. Um, and then the online retailers, which does give our business a level of complexity because when we're marketing ourselves or we're trying to um, create a message, we've got two different clients. Mm. types and so you know it can be difficult you know if you if you're after just one client type like when whether you're um a hubspot or or you don't care and you're like a zoom anyone can be a client then at least your your message can be you know relatively succinct but we always have to sort of run sort of two simultaneous messages about you know the benefits for online retailers or the technology and benefits for the affiliates yeah that's a really interesting thought you've got two distinct Oh, I, you know, it's kind of like Uber. Mm-hmm. Everything's kind of like Uber these days, but it's kind of like Uber that you've got the drivers and you've got the riders. You've got two yeah. different kind of prospects that you have to have two different marketing plans for. Exactly, exactly. So, And that's what we have to do all the time. And then we even have another, another client type, um, which will be agencies as well because yep. a lot of these agencies may – own the marketing spend for online retailers. So we also have to be able to cater to agencies as yep. well. But thankfully the messaging for the retailers can be very similar for the agencies mm-hmm. as well. So. And so I'm an affiliate. Mm-hmm. I um, my, The reason I come to Commission Factory is because I want to find online retailers that I can promote mm-hmm. through whatever my medium is, whether it be Instagram, blog, mm-hmm. YouTube, whatever. Yeah. Um, and by promoting that, if my followers buy it, I mm-hmm. get paid a commission mm-hmm. that comes from the retailer via you. Yes. And you clip that commission on the way and that's your business model. That's right. So, I mean, we we will add a fee to the top because for the affiliates, they want to know how much they're earning. Yep. So if their commission is 10%, we're not going to take any of that from them. Okay. So we will sort of add a clip to the top, um, which is charged to the retailer. So the okay. retailer takes care of that. And, um, yeah, those affiliates, you know, can then start promoting our online retailers in return for a commission 
Um, the commissioning can be relatively dynamic or it will depend on what the product is as well and what sort of margins they have. So when we're working with any retailers that sell white goods and electronics, their margins are usually quite small. So they might only be offering something like a 1% or a 2% commission, but the, the order value is generally high. So it can be $500 plus. But with our, our what's a white good like a washing machine? Like washing machines, yeah, refrigerators and that sort of stuff as well. So, um, and then fast fashion, they generally have larger margins, so they can be paying anywhere from ten to fifteen percent commission on on the um, um, cart value. Awesome, and obviously the the online retailer is just it's another marketing medium. They're just generating more That's sales. That's right. It, it's it's a medium for them to get their brand out there um, and it's performance-based as well. So, therefore, if our affiliates don't sell anything, you don't pay anything. Mm-hmm. So, for the retailers, they get a good return on ad spend or ROI here because they're not paying for clicks that aren't, aren't guaranteed to sell. You yeah. know, There's, you know, There's no risk. That's right. Only exactly. Reward. So, so even for us, if if – um, our affiliates don't promote your store or promote your product. We don't make anything either. So it's obviously in our best interest that the affiliates are promoting you. And how do you ensure that? So how do you get the affiliates to start promoting? Do you have a system in place? Or Well, we'll do a little bit of um, marketing and promotion for the online retailers that join us and, you know, the affiliates can filter as well to see what's new um, if they want to. Because it is um, an online platform. So they it can is actually an come on, look at the – can they search by industry? I want to look at yeah. fashion companies. That's right. They can search by category or just search by or look at look at our whole marketplace of advertisers um, that work with us or the online retailers and see who's new as well or who's paying out the most or wow. who has yeah, a great yeah. conversion Who's paying the most commissions? <laughs> exactly. I'm promoting that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And some of them definitely will. So that can be the difficult thing when we our, our brands that we work with range from small, you know, so the SMEs mm-hmm. all the way up to enterprise. Because the affiliates might initially just be drawn to the enterprise because it's brands that they know. And then there's the SMEs who are, um, I guess, unknown maybe at that at that particular time. So they they generally have to maybe pay a larger commission to begin with, you know, to 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 get ahead of these brands mm-hmm. as well. And they 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 do have to be very active and the lead time can be longer for them as well. So a large enterprise brand, you know, to get the affiliates up and running and promoting you. You know, within the month, you're generally going to be hitting that sort of peak and then hopefully just organically growing. But for the SMEs, it can be sort of three to six months before they really start getting the results because, you know, you've got to hopefully the affiliates will see them and start promoting them and get results. Uh, Also, it it takes that time to get the traction of the affiliates. Yeah, that's right. Not of the the affiliates following. That's right. The affiliates just need to, I don't know this brand, but they do have an interesting product or or range of products. So, you know what, I might just put some of this on my blog or that type of thing. So it it just starts that way. Do you know when you see on social uh, like the teeth whitening products and Mm -hmm. the face, facial products and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do those companies, so let's say I created a teeth whitening product, mm-hmm. would I come to you and be like get as many influencers, affiliates as mm-hmm. you can to promote and sell this product, I'll yep. pay them 50%, go for gold? That's Well, I mean they do. So when we see these new products, um, they might come to us, but we do have some caveats to this and it's generally um, you need to have been in business for at least six months mm. is generally what we will say because we don't want to take someone on if we don't feel like we can help them just yet or they need to just 
refine their site or their or if they're going to screw rate. over potentially screw over your your affiliates because well, if they haven't been there long enough, there's no proof that the business can actually operate that they can get the stock that you don't know. That's right, exactly. So so we we do ask that there is this that you know you you've refined things first, and it might be things like your conversion rates because. If your website is just poorly laid out and conversion rate is low, there is nothing affiliates can do to fix that. And so they're going to be sending traffic to you that is just wasted because, you know, they're giving you real estate on their websites or whatever channel they're using that isn't going to convert because your website is just not set up for conversion. I love about that. It's like extreme ownership. It's like not only are we going to do our part Mm -hmm. of the job, Mm -hmm. but we want to make sure that, our part's able to work and therefore mm-hmm. look at an element that you're supposed to do, which is have a good website yeah. and tell you to fix it if, that's right. if we believe that it's that's not good enough. Exactly, exactly. So that's why we make sure that like you've been in business for a certain amount of time because mm. some people have launched a website or they contact, oh, I'm about to launch a website. Yeah. We generally will say, well, that's great, come back to us in six months and then we'll talk because you launch a website, it's probably not going to be converting you need to refine these things as as time goes on and for our affiliates first impressions last so if they send you loads of traffic and none of it converts they will drop you and they will promote a competitor or Mm -hmm. someone else entirely and they won't come back how interesting Mm. it still blows my mind how you came up with this how you created it because it's a newer type of business model, isn't it? It's something that it evolves. It, yeah. it, it's an evolution. So we we didn't necessarily create the theory behind it. I, I will give that credit to Amazon. Mm-hmm. So they sort of started this in the 90s and then it it went to... What was the form they started? What, what, what you- so kind of like this affiliate marketing or they always, they, they referred to it as Amazon Associates. And okay. so these are, are people that were out there who had their own sites and they were promoting. So Amazon kind of pioneered it. And then there were companies like CD Now, um, which I don't even know where that went in the end, but, you know, they were doing it too. And then like any new technology um, or innovation, the porn industry got involved. Mm. And so, you know, I mean, it was the it was the porn industry that was the deciding factor between, you know, the mediums like VHS and Betamax. So because the porn industry decided to do things on VHS, VHS won, Betamax fell, fell yep. by the by the wayside. So they also started in the affiliate industry too and getting other sites to promote, you know, online pornography. So, you know, it has history there, which is probably why my parents still don't necessarily know what I do, but they seem to tell people I work in porn. <laughs> so I'm just I, I I just don't correct them because I've tried for years. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> basic principles. Exactly. So so that's kind of where it started. But then networks like us have existed in different forms. Some have come, some have gone, and and we we came about because I was one of those affiliates once. So I was working, um, you know, as a designer at the time. And I wanted to have some sort of a home business or, or, or wanted to, you know, be my own boss one day because that was always where things were going ahead with me because I'm, you know, far too pushy and, mm. and controlling. So I was promoting um, other online retailers' products with my own blogs and I was making, you know, a relatively healthy income for an early 20s so guy. I was making about, you know, $8,000 a month in commissions. How old are you know, now? 35 now. Jeez, yeah. still young. Yeah, that's right. So I I was maybe about 22, 23, I think, when I sort of started mm-hmm. in, the, in this industry. 
Um, and yeah, I, I was earning these commissions. It was a lot of fun. Um, but then your new boss became Google or the networks as well. You say they would sometimes decide whether or not you could promote someone. But then also you Google was your boss because you Google would, you know, dictate where you ranked in the search engines for certain keywords and things. And so so whenever they made a sweeping change, it could wipe out your income overnight. Yeah. And so yeah, that was then where we decided, well, why don't we not be the affiliate? Maybe we can be the network instead. Yeah, that's it's I love that train of thought. And that's an issue I've always had or something I've always sympathized with um some of the traditional digital marketing agencies is that they're almost not in control of their own product mm-hmm. because you know, they're at Zuckerberg's or, yeah. or uh, Google's mercy. You know, you, they, they alter one little thing, mm-hmm. then suddenly your, you know, you, your whole thing changes and you, you can't really tell your customers exactly what's going to happen because you don't even know what exactly what's going to happen. No, it's, that's right. It's you, a tough you, position you to do, be. You never know. And our industry is always changing and always evolving and now with um, um, privacy laws changing and things like GDPR in Europe, um, you know, in, in the amount of data you can hold on people, um, you know, that changes the landscape as well. And, I mean, for us, thankfully, we're a very data light company in terms of the data we need is very little to do our job. And so th- we don't have to, we don't ever see the customer's information or any of their details. We don't need it and we don't want it. Mm-hmm. Um, so thankfully, when it comes to privacy, you know, there's no real issues there, thankfully. But, yeah, th- those things can change overnight. But then how did you start the business? So you've got a blog, a fashion blog. Mm-hmm. You're earning commissions. You don't want to be um, the affiliate. You want to mm-hmm. be the network. Mm-hmm. Then what? Well, let's see. We want to be the network. So, therefore, we had to – we had that perspective from an affiliate's point of view to say, well, these are the networks that are out there. And we were able to sort of do, make up a list of, of what we liked and what we didn't like about them and um, sort of put our heads together to sort of come up with the concept of, of Commission Factory, what we wanted it to be, um, keeping things simple um, where we could. And, and that, that's, that still continues today as very much an ethos of, of our network is um, simple by default and deep by design. So it can be really, really easy. And you can get far more complex with it if you want to. And so that's how we want to present affiliate marketing was, you know, new, innovative, it looks good. And then with my history as a designer, I was able to design the, you know, the, well, I actually designed the first, second and third versions of Commission Factory. Really? So, yeah. So I. What do you mean by design? The website? The actual, yeah, user experience, user interface. So I did all of that myself because when we started, it was just the three of us. So there was um, three co-founders and. Um, and you're based in the Gold Coast? Sunshine Coast. Sunshine Coast. Sunshine Coast. It was a coast. Yeah. That's right. It's a coast. It was near yeah. a beach, right? Yeah. You know, and still, you know, that laid back sort of lifestyle. Um, but the, between the three of us, we had this like holy trinity of skills, you know. So I was, I did design and then we have our uh, um, CTO. So he programmed the whole thing. And then one of the other co-founders, he had more experience in sales than what I did. So, so I designed it. He made it work. Yeah. He sold it. And so, yeah, between the three of us, we were able to launch this company. And because of how we focused on the design and and the branding and the look and feel of Commission Factory, um, we appeared much bigger than we actually were. And so, you know, when you launch these things, you've got, what, zero or one client? And so, but we made ourselves always look much bigger than we actually were. 
Um, and if people assumed we had, you know, a thousand clients, we didn't necessarily correct them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, exactly right. I didn't say that. But that's, but, that, that's, so. that's one of the uh, oldest tricks in the trade, you know, fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. It's not faking it. It's just you have to find a way to build proof, social proof mm-hmm. for yourself in a, in a sense. And, and you're saying yeah. that you found that through design. That's right, through design, you know, because we didn't look cheap or didn't mm. look like it was a it was a one man show mm. designing this thing. You know, we we obviously took inspiration from you know the greats out there, and as I say, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. So we took inspiration, but we pulled in all the things that we knew were, were missing from this industry, and to make it great. What I like what you said before, which uh, which was really cool, because you were you were essentially your client. You mm-hmm. were the affiliate. Yeah. And you sat down and you said, well, as an affiliate, mm-hmm. what would I want? Mm-hmm. I, I know what's out there. Look, what are the other networks? Okay, if I was to build the best network for myself, mm-hmm. what would it? What would be different about that network to the others? Yeah. That's a really cool way yeah. to design a product. For That's a, right, looking at it from that perspective. Because mm. well, as an affiliate, I knew – that we were the ones sometimes who got sort of pushed around a little bit, you know, when you had online retailers changing their commissions and and even getting paid by the networks could have been, you know, hard as well, you know, trying to get the money. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to make that easy and we knew that from affiliates cash flow can be an issue. And so a lot of networks back then paid once a month. So we said we will pay commissions weekly. Wow. And, I mean, it was a great burden on us to do that because we were still a small team and and you know we we almost exclusively could only pay by paypal at that stage because yeah. it that was easy enough which paypal in and of itself gave us all world of trouble you know at one stage too where they just banned our account why to this day i still don't really know why <laughs> but Basically, we were all because we were sending out so much money to these affiliates, they either assumed money laundering, child pornography, or something. We basically got classified in like the worst of the worst. Jeez. Yeah, and they're doing some sort of fraud or something. They, that's right. They just assumed, but there was actually no recourse there. So, when even when I'm calling them, they're just saying, We're not talking to you. And so, it was bad. Whatever it was, it was bad. So, Thankfully, I had made enough connections and I knew someone who knew the managing director of PayPal Australia who connected me through. So I had to speak to him and say, what the hell happened here? Because you're freezing all the money in our account for six months and you also then nobody will reinstate our account so we could pay affiliates. And it was an error on their part. No. And and they had said, yeah, well, we probably need to work out how best to deal with this in future. I'm like, well, yeah, you banned our account and you're going to f- and hold our funds for six months and there was no recourse. Did I they do anything to, re- I guess, resolve it for you? Yes, they they did. They He ended up, well, from, but I had to go as high as the managing director That's of Australia crazy. to get it fixed. And the power it, of a network. I know, exactly. It's not what you know, it's who you know, exactly. right? So they were able to fix it and it was fixed by Christmas Eve. So that was my early Christmas present was getting that sorted. <laughs> Thank God. That's the problem with the bigger companies. It's it's that, well, at the end of the day, human error, like humans are going to make mistakes, mm. right? So it, it does just just because they're such a huge company with heaps of cash doesn't mean they can't make mistakes. Right? Yeah. It can happen. The problem though is with a small company, you can get onto somebody. Yeah. You can speak to them. Yeah. You can get the attention that you mm-hmm. deserve as a client. Yeah. With the bigger companies, it's very hard to get that attention. Mm-hmm. And 
often what what people do is and, and what they're forced to do, which they don't want to do, is I mean, you did it the nice way. You went straight to the to the boss and you say, "Hey, listen, what's going on?" Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people do and are forced to do is that they have to leave tons of bad reviews and mm. they make a big stink out of it. And as a business owner, I hate that because it's just, I, yeah, it's, it, it's just disgusting. You know the effect it's going to have on a business, but but in a in a bigger with a bigger company, sometimes that's the only thing you can do in order to get yeah attention. Yeah. Sometimes you know it, I've had to get a, get their attention by going to social media, but I don't go on there doing bad reviews. I'll just try and contact someone through there, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, through that channel. I mean, we deal with it ourselves, you know, where we we are highly approachable and we're very accessible. But sometimes we do have to take a hard line with some people, especially if there's an affiliate that's done something against our terms and conditions or they've, they've done something wrong. And, and we have levels for this, which is, you know, either a serious misconduct or, a, or a, you know, you'll get a warning. Mm-hmm. And so if they hit the serious misconduct level, then essentially from our, they're banned from our network. Wow. That's that's kind of it. They, we're still accessible. They can dispute it and we can chat about it, but ultimately some of them don't understand why, but we keep trying to explain, you did this, you can't do that, you can't do that. Um, you know, that's that's trademark infringement, that's this, it, mm. whatever it might be. Then the next minute there's there's nasty stuff going up on on these review sites or Which social is not media. even your fault. Well, that's it. We are saying like you're you doing did the, legal the wrong thing. thing. Yeah. And we're in trouble. That's the problem with the review with the review sites, they yeah. they cause a lot of malicious behaviour. It's a platform for the crazies yes. sometimes. You know, it gives yeah. them a platform when they shouldn't really have that platform because what they've said, oh, this is a terrible company or, you know, the, then they start the whole defamation stuff as well, which can be, oh, it's a scam. Yeah. It's like, well, no, we're not a scam. We have 40,000 people that work with us. Just you did the wrong thing and we can't work with you now. To this, to this day, to this day, there is a review on, mind you, you can look at Cubs reviews in Google mm-hmm. and you can see all the members there. We know their names. They're all rating a great five stars and, yeah. and saying nice things. And then there's this review from someone I have whom I have no idea who the fuck they are mm-hmm. saying that they worked there mm. but they didn't. Yeah. We, we looked at the name and everything um, and the role that they were saying they did just wasn't there. Yeah. And they, they, they're just, I don't know, they made up some story about uh, how they used to work there and there's all this stuff. And I'm just thinking, I don't even know who the fuck you are. What are you writing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I looked on the account and I went and looked at all their other reviews they've left, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend people doing if there's a bad review on a company. Mm-hmm. And I found that this one person had left only one-star reviews with all these weird comments on all of these, mm-hmm. on all these random, nothing yeah. to do with cardboard networking, but yeah. like restaurants. And, yeah. and I was like, what a horrible human being to do that. I know, I know. And unfortunately there is just so little recourse as well to like get rid of these things. I mean, we're not trying to stifle free speech. And if you and if you do have a legitimate problem, then by all means review and hopefully we can also respond or try and help you with that problem. Mm. But sometimes you simply have no recourse. And even if you went to a company like Facebook or, or Google or anyone say like this is fake, can you take it down? I don't you think have to do. rely on them to actually do. They you know, do that. I don't think they do. I thought they didn't. Oh, well, I know Facebook doesn't. I mean, I mean, even when it's pure trademark infringement yeah. and and defamation that sort of thing, 
Um, I mean, defamation laws in Australia, in, in New South Wales, are awful, anyways. I mean, you companies basically cannot sue for defamation if you're are over you 10 serious? employees. Yeah. When Jeez. you're over 10, yeah, you can't do anything about it. Jeez. Yeah. I wonder That's why over 10. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Well, do you guys have anything in place to create um, know, systems to create positive uh, reviews or, mm-hmm. or things like that? Yeah, well, I mean, we 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 don't engage too much with these sorts of platforms. I mean, that became uh, just a, a company wide policy some time ago. It's like don't engage mm-hmm. anymore because they just became very um, unconstructive and and toxic environments. That's like you can't argue with crazy. And yeah. so and, and you're some, giving them attention which they don't deserve. That's right. So we we tend to just ignore a lot of it, but. Um, you know, we will try and encourage um, feedback and and where where possible. And so what we do is we do the net promoter scores with our clients to uh, anonymous as well, giving us a score of from zero to ten. You know, and and because it's anonymous, they can yep. they'll generally be more honest. Mm-hmm. So so that's great for us to actually get honest feedback, bad or good. So bad, at least it lets us look at okay, well, what don't they like, and what where can we improve? Sometimes you've got to get over the jarring you know, feeling that you might get when you read something and it seems pretty horrible. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you just give it 24 hours, come back and have a look at it from a different perspective and say, okay, maybe that's a valid issue that mm. they're having and can we rectify it or is it something that we just simply can't change? Yeah, I've do? always looked at the, the, I mean, bad feedback as um, as a blessing, as a, as a reason to say thank you because it it's always in the difficult times or the hard things or the bad things where you yourself develop and grow and get better. Mm-hmm. The good things aren't going to make you better. The bad actually are. Even if the person's wrong, it's probably still going to make you think about it Yeah, and you're still going to improve it in some That's sort right. of way. So, Well, even if they're wrong, maybe it's perception. They yeah. just perceive it that way yeah. um, as well. So, and, and you guys are the favourite affiliate marketing um, company in the country. In fact, I think you have over 60% of the – of the uh, market, mm-hmm. uh, which means that affiliates are happiest with you. How yeah. did you have any systems in place to to um, to uh, create that satisfaction, or mm-hmm. what are the things you do to keep your affiliates happy? Well, I guess our platform, you know, is is one thing. So it was built by affiliates for affiliates, essentially. So we wanted to make them happy and have a platform um, and software that that was easy for them to use and hopefully easy easy to get started and great choice of online retailers to use. Um, we we recognised that we needed to be better when it came to um, more service and support. It was hard when we were smaller because when you've got, you know, tens of thousands of affiliates and if they want help with something, we, we had limited manpower to yeah. do that. But now that the company's scaled, um, you know, we, we do have to formalize things. And so now we, we, we implemented like support ticketing systems. So there's always someone, you know, to, to see what you're needing help with and putting service levels. What's a support ticketing? So um, at least from our dashboard, they can just at least submit a ticket to say, this is the problem I'm having oh, okay. and, and categorize it so we can sort of get a sense of where people are getting stuck. So we might be able to fix it later, you know, in terms of our, our user experience and user interface, we can look at that. But also within our team, setting out a service level agreement as well, such as you must respond to all support tickets within 24 hours. So yeah, know, that's a great little rule that can make a big difference to customer service. That's right, and and having having a means of actually monitoring that as well. So that can be the hard thing. So at least we yeah. 
We use software like HubSpot um, as our CRM and our, our ticketing system so that managers as well can actually look in, in there and see, you know, which of, which team member is taking the longest to respond and, or what is the average department response time on these things so we can make sure that we're getting back to these affiliates as quickly as we yeah, it's can. One, it's one thing creating a rule, but the other thing is you actually have to measure that and yeah. make, make sure it's happening. That's right. And so you started the company with the guys in the Sunshine Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, what year was that? 2011 we launched. 2011. Yeah. And, and how long did it take you to kind of get traction, would you say? Um, I would say nine months. Okay. That's so nine months quick. we were profitable because wow. – Thankfully, our expenses were so low. We never borrowed money. We never had investors. So we were bootstrapped for this. So we were we started the whole company with about $5,030. I say $30 because that was sitting in my PayPal account. We <laughs> threw that in too. So $5,000 5, is what we started the company with. And we kept things really lean. We did everything ourselves um, between the three co-founders, everything. Um, and, and I think it was maybe about 18 months we were in business before we hired our first staff member. 18 months. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And, and did you guys quit your jobs and get fully into it or Mm -hmm. were you, um, yeah, pretty much you all did at the same time. Yeah, that's right. So just the CTO. So he retained his job because he was, he was playing a vital role at another company. So they Mm -hmm. needed a good, so like three to four months to sort of replace him. So, so he worked there, he worked with them part-time and then, uh, well, both companies part-time. Um, for myself, I was fully focused on this company. So any of the blogs uh, that I was running at the time um, that I was making money from, I sold to other people I knew in the industry and like, oh, here's my, you know, fashion blog if you want to, do you want to buy it? Yeah. And and I think I really didn't sell them for much. I think it was like, you know, maybe $2,500 for one. <laughs> and so I, I, for me, I'm just like, I just want to get rid of it and, and get a little bit of money out of it. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And what were the key lessons you learned? Uh, how many, how many, how big is your team roughly now? Um, so we are now about 35 in Sydney yep. and we're four in Kuala Lumpur. Okay, so obviously you came to Sydney because it's where most of the market was eventually. That's right, exactly, exactly. So 90% of our clients are in Sydney. Yeah. So it just made sense for us to be here. And what were the most, what were the biggest problems that you had as a business mm-hmm. from getting uh, to the three of you mm-hmm. to then the 40 or whatever odd there are of you mm-hmm. now? What were the biggest the biggest problems you had in that period? Well, if you can think of them. I guess um, you have to learn to let go as well. In terms of the things that I controlled, I had to delegate. Oh, you had to learn to delegate. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Letting go of certain things and being and trusting people. That was hard the first time around. It's much easier now because I've become more accustomed to it. But, you know, something that was really important to me, either it be our image, our brand, our our user experience, all those things that I eventually had to let go of and delegate to someone else, you know, was hard at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, I still have a lot of oversight when it comes to our, our, our user interface and stuff because it's like this is what made us who we are. Mm-hmm. It, it's really important to get right. So... That was difficult, just just the delegation at first. But then, um, you know, learning to become a boss and be the boss you always wanted as well. You know that 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 took some some time, but it it came quite naturally to us because we we always had a very flat sort of structure within the company where 
the CEO, CTO, COO, whoever they are in the executive level, we're all accessible. In mm -hmm. fact, mo most of the time we're working amongst the rest of the team as well. So we always try to be present and 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 provide good leadership and, and that kept staff with us. So we have a extremely high retention rate on, on our staff. Um, we, I think, you know, in nine years we have maybe had two people resign. No. Yeah. So Are you serious? That's right. And one of them, she uh, – actually, no, sorry, it's three, but one of them, nothing that any of us could control. She was over here from the UK mm -hmm. and just after a while just kind of got homesick and really yeah. wanted to go home. And so we we kept that relationship with her. We even upgraded her ticket to business class to fly home. So, it's like, <laughs> so to say, you've been wonderful, we will miss you. Keep in touch with us. That's incredible. There's two things I want to talk about there. Mm -hmm. Definitely the retention rate of staff and I want to hear how, mm -hmm. how you do that and why you think that's the case. Mm -hmm. But the concept first, you mentioned one other thing, which was the concept of trying to be the boss that you would want. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting thought for people to, to have, you know, say, okay, well, I want to be, I want to be a good leader. Yeah. How would I want myself to That's to, right. How to, to do be? that. Well, it's that leading by example as well. I mean, I've had I had um, a boss at like one of my first full time jobs out of high school, and when I was working in design, he was just odd. And like, I here I am at like nineteen, and and I can't respect this person because he's inconsistent in his leadership style. Mm -hmm. You know, he bullies and and you know expects so much from us and but we don't get any recognition for it and so so i really wanted to change that so our guys they they get recognized you know mm -hmm. as as often as we can i will never ask you to do something that i'm not prepared to do myself so you will see me in the office stacking the dishwasher mm -hmm. because i look at it and think i'm not above any of this yep. and you know it why not all just work together on these sort of things? I'm here. I'll stack the dishwasher. I'll I'll put some dishes in there if I need to, or, or you know whatever it might be. So I'm not above anything. Yes. Um. And and that garners some respect from the team because they know if I ever say, "Can you please stack the dishwasher?" I'm not saying it just boss you around because you've seen me do it. I'm not asking you to do something I'm not prepared to do uh, myself. Yeah, I, I think that's so so important because the greater good of the company should be the person's priority. Yes, you have a main role, which is what you're best at and you're the boss of that role and, and mm -hmm. you're doing that. But if you, for example, at Cub, you will, it wouldn't be uh, unknown for you to see me mop the, the toilet floor, the bathroom mm -hmm. floor. Yeah. Not because I want to, but because I was walking past, I saw it was it was dirty and mm -hmm. so I asked the, one of the clubhouse staff for a mop. They often try to do it themselves, but I said, no, nah, let me do it. I already asked for it. Yeah. Let me do it. But even just them seeing you do that, mm -hmm. it, it goes a long way. You, yeah. you, you, you obtain a lot of respect and it's, exactly. a, it's a great it's – a, it also shows the other team, hey, you're not above this either. Mm -hmm. That's right, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that goes back to looking at people that either you had some admiration for or that you can respect. So a part-time job or casual job I had when I was in high school, I had, you know, this boss at this, you know, retail store and, and, and she, she would be mopping. And mm. she would be doing those things because I had other ones who would refuse to do that. Like it's your job to mop, mm. and it's like, okay, well, I mean, I get that, but you know, but you also need me to do all these these twenty other things as mm. well. So seeing this woman get in and mop, 
and tidy things up and clean, I respected her. Especially if it was to make sure that you're able to complete your other your work that you wanted yeah, to complete. Yeah, that's right. Because she's like, well, I'm, I'm not above this. I don't really have any paperwork to do. So yeah. I'll just I'll, I'll mop and you do all those you do those things that you need to get done. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. leading from the front line, mm-hmm. being the first to run into into battle. Yeah, that's that's, that's the type right. of boss that you exactly. That you want. It's and like protecting the, them as well. Yeah. You have, you, have you watched the movie The Patriot before? If you haven't, oh, God, a you have long to. time ago. Yeah. With, um, uh, with Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson and, and Heath Ledger was he? Nah, was Mel Gibson. No, that's the. Oh, no. That, yeah. Fuck. I'm thinking of the wrong movie. That is The Patriot. <laughs> that is The Patriot. Right. I'm speaking about Braveheart. <laughs> oh, Braveheart. Yeah, I yeah. know that one. Yeah. That's right. Um, again, Mel Gibson. Fuck. The Patriot's a good movie too, though. <laughs> Heath Ledger's a legend. Um, Best Joker ever. Yeah. Um, but in that movie, uh, Mel Gibson mm-hmm. is versing the British Army, obviously, mm-hmm. and he's Scottish. Mm-hmm. And the British king is sitting at the is sitting at the back behind all the troops, sending the troops in to die first. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mel Gibson is standing at the front with his troops, running in first, doing all that stuff. And mm-hmm. you can just say, obviously, it's a film and it's yeah. fake, but but you can see as the viewer why you would have more respect. Mm-hmm. For Mel, yeah. as opposed to King George. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you would follow this person. You would. Yeah. If he's willing to do that, it's that important to him. It's it could be that important to me too. Mm-hmm. That's it's right. Smart. And they need to see as well that we that we respect and we will protect them as well. I mean, I protect my team as mm-hmm. much as I can. Well, and, so. and tell us about the dele- uh, the um, not delegation, the retention. Why mm-hmm. do you have such high retention? I mean, that's an yeah. enviable record. Yeah. I mean, it is really high. Thankfully, you know, it's great because. Hiring is really unproductive or it lowers productivity because you've got to hire the person, you've got to onboard them. So so we we look at it and say, well, if we could if we spend more to keep them, that uh, that's good for us. So we do we do a lot of social stuff with, with our team and we make our office environment, you know, as fun as we can. We have things like arcade machines in our office. So they do like Mario Kart tournaments and and they organize that themselves and go for it. Um, and then I also looked at costs that we were spending per year on, you know, people's birthdays and, and all manner of little things that we were doing. So I actually looked at all that and then I just, I created a social committee with a couple of members of our team and said, this is, here is your budget. You've got $18,000 a year and that's your social committee budget. So you can do, that'll go towards birthdays. So if you want to buy someone cake, Mm -hmm. um, or if you want to organize a group dinner or whatever it is that you want to do, you have got 18 grand. You can spend it all on one massive party, but then you've got nothing else for the year mm-hmm. or you learn to spread it out. And they've done really, really well with that. So, yeah, now, so the social committee was a great idea because it took that off my shoulders, which I always had people coming to me, oh, is it okay if we spend $50 on this yeah. person's birthday? I'm like, I don't care. That's it's what $50. I always say, ask Laura. Yeah, it's like, it's $50. <laughs> I don't care. So yeah. that's why it's like, here's your budget. Spend it however you want. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. right. So, so we do those sorts of things with our with our team, you know, and keeping things social. Or maybe I'll hold my own events as well. You know, things that I want to do. Like when it comes around to Halloween time as well, I love horror movies. So, <laughs> so I'll do like my own, you know, um, Halloween movie screaming. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so. And and but what about their actual role as well? So they're obviously really enjoying mm-hmm. what they do. Yeah. Is there, a, I guess, a culture of is there a specific type of culture where they feel like they're in control of their role or yeah well we promote from within so no i mean initially we 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 filled roles as we needed them and even from outside but now that we've got a lot of the roles filled within our company and our structure in place 
now we don't bring anybody in at any sort of management or senior level every single person must start from the bottom mm -hmm. so you because then if you start from the bottom then you can recognize the challenges those people face one day when you move up because you know you know if you're going to put this task on this person you know the sort of pain you're going to cause them because you were there once mm. so everyone starts from the bottom so and and we promote from within so you know that that can sometimes mean that you know whilst you are brilliant I can't promote you just yet because we don't have the role available or if we do push you up then we have to backfill quickly and so so some of them are willing to to wait for those roles to come available but we'll make sure that we reward them as well and so we do what's called our cf superstar awards and what's so that? so that's every month it's a video that runs for the whole team because it's broadcast to all of our different teams around the place and it looks like an Academy Awards video. You know, it's got like, yeah. you know, live from Sydney and, and it's got all this stuff and then, and then you know, build up, build up, build up and then suddenly someone's picture drops, you know, with who's the winner for the month, you know. So that's been voted by management as to who our superstar is and the reasons why they won and then we get, I think they also get like a $200 prepaid FPOS card That's or something awesome. like that. It's well. like the, the person of the month. Yeah, exactly. Employee of the month but, you know, we make sure that we recognise, you know, yeah, such people and and um, and and we do need to make sure we recognize good work. Yeah, hundred percent. We we do something that's really cool. I think a lot of people should definitely try it. It's, we call it the culture meeting. Mm -hmm. it happens every Thursday. So every Thursday is a morning meeting, mm -hmm. and every single. Also, it's the it's obviously the core team that's in that meeting, mm -hmm. and every single um, person mm -hmm. votes someone that they call their boss. Mm -hmm. So like you'll choose a boss for the week last week. Someone. Um, um, BOSS stands for BOS, which stands for belief, ownership, and support. Mm -hmm. There yeah. are work principles. So these are our team principles. You have to have belief in yourself and, and what we're doing and, mm -hmm. and that no matter how hard it gets that we're going to get through, through whatever it is, or you can get through it, we're going to get through it. Ownership is extreme ownership. It's yours. It's your company. It's your role. It's your, you know, you, you're in charge. You can, you can get this happen. And uh, support is our family. If, if, you, if someone needs your help, you've got to help them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. And so BOS, so everyone will choose a boss. So like mm -hmm. I'll be like, oh, Laura's my boss because mm -hmm. of this, this, and this. Everyone clap for Laura, everyone claps, and mm -hmm. it goes around the team. And so you see, though, that um, everybody is like when someone's had a great week, they're seeing the recognition from the team yeah. very regularly, and you mm -hmm. can see how that affects greatly their, yeah. their work. So that, 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 that's yeah. what we do just to give listeners mm -hmm. a uh, recognition is, is really important yeah but we haven't got a dope video that's awesome <laughs> yeah no we, we sort of created that so it's due for an update we've used the same template now for about two years so it's time for a new one yeah, I little, think. little facelift yeah exactly and what, what do you think's happening then in the in your industry it, would you call your industry online retail yeah i mean essentially that that's who our client marketing is. and online retail yeah, that's right how do you think covid's uh, has affected and will affect into the future mm-hmm I mean, there are some verticals that were obviously affected way more than others. So any of our travel guys are kind of non-existent right They're now. They're gone. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So so um, we will see them take some time to come back. Um, some of the challenges our retailers faced during the initial stages of, of the lockdown was stock shortages. So um, I think that that identified a reliance on certain markets as well, that maybe there needs to be a level of contingency and diversification that will come in terms of where they get their stocks. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I so mean, just don't get everything from China. You might get some things from Australia. You might get some that's things right, from the Diversify US. a little more. And so we had some wanting to cancel or close down their programs because not because they were doing bad, but because they didn't have the stock. So, you know, we're either there trying to advise them saying, does your shopping cart technology have the ability to take pre-orders? And is a stock you will be able to get again? And it's like, yes, like start taking pre-orders mm. because when your stock comes back, wouldn't that be amazing if you've got all these pre-orders there waiting to go send out? So they they did a lot of that, but we we did see um, massive trends in just general retail that we saw online. Fast fashion was 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 okay. It fluctuated because um, in the beginning, no one had discretionary spending, so they were just spending on essentials. Um, then that changed, especially once some people were able to get access to their super. super. So they started buying. They started buying uh, little dresses and exactly. Things. <laughs> so sixty three percent of the Do money that they accessed that. early was all on these this discretionary spending, not not paying bills or oh, keeping crazy. things afloat. So that's. I mean. They'll pay for that later, oh, I think. Of course they know, are. So. They also pulled out of their super at a time where their super was worth nothing. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. So, but what COVID I think will will expose is not necessarily changing um, the way people shop. It just brought it forward because every it's all heading this way where you're shopping more online mm. because of the convenience of it. And so, those who either didn't have a lot of exposure to shopping online did during this period and they mm. either enjoyed the experience and will continue to do so going forward. And and even now, while some of the shops are opening back up, you probably might be going back online. I mean, I've seen the Apple store, the line that goes around the block. I'm like, I'm not waiting in that line. Mm. So I'm going to keep shopping online if I need anything from Apple. Yeah, it, it, it def- I agree with you. It, it has accelerated the pace of which we're going to digitalize everything, mm-hmm. every exactly. aspect of our life. Yeah. Even um, – I can think of um, – I had never done a Zoom meeting before, mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. We sold 25 memberships last month through Zoom. Mm-hmm. We never done a Zoom sale prior yeah. to COVID, a digital, like a mm-hmm. – basically just, yeah. I don't know, videos, video on the screen. People are now used to meeting people through screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's become possible. Yeah. And it's actually, in some instances, it's just proved to you the benefit. For example, we can have more sales meetings now because they take less time. Mm-hmm. The show rate for the sales meetings high because it's easier for the person to get there because they're yeah. just staying at home anyway. Yeah. Therefore, we're making more sales, mm-hmm. but there's less effort to to, to the meeting. So yeah. there's there's some things that it's just it's it's had a big yeah. It's proven the ways that it is good. That's it has right. also exposed the ways that it lacks too, though. I think what we'll see is is maybe even a change in commercial space as well. How that's going to work in the future when when it showed everyone, okay, we can all we can actually work from home productively. Mm-hmm. So then it, maybe it will start to redefine what the office is, and is it now going to become more of a collaborative community space as opposed to where you are every day? Where, I mean, your office could be set up predominantly meeting rooms, maybe tiered seating for training. Um, few desks and, it, you know, because most of the office space these days is all desks. So that's limited because everyone starts hot desking. Therefore, you start changing the office where it's now more this, yeah, training, education, communal space where every now and again periodically you call everyone in because, like, we're doing a training session on this new thing that we're, we're rolling out or, or a new technology that's coming. So everyone gets called in. So there's an opportunity to mingle and catch up mm. with everyone face to face, but also we're using the space now more communal. That's exactly what I think is going to happen. In fact, mm-hmm. 
I've, I've had this discussion in, in great depth with, with a lot of people. Mm. I even think that physical retail spaces are going to become more communal mm. and experiential and they're yeah. going to be things that they can bring clients together in and allow them to experience out in special events and mm. things like that through the space. Yeah. Because if the world digitalizes, people are going to miss that human connection and it's going yeah. to be that human connection that you still need the spaces for. Yeah, you do. You do. I mean, we all we our whole team miss, miss each other being at home, mm. and they they they. Whilst everyone say, "Oh, work from home would be good," and we've always had those options, but not full time. So, like a couple of days a week, you could work from home. But seeing it was forced upon them, they really missed each other, and they're like, "Okay, mm. now that I've experienced this, I don't think I could work from home full time." No. I mean, it was they they still realize that socializing is a big part of the office space yeah. as well. You're human. You're yeah. human. You mm. need other people. Yeah, exactly. Working from home full time would suck. By the end of by the end of this, that team was or they were just going back into the office, even if no one was there. Mm-hmm. They were still just going. Yeah, they, they wanted to. They wanted. They, you want to get out. You want to. You do. You need variety in your in exactly surround. And some of us need some separation between our, our work and our home life as well. And I mean, I don't have I don't have a set office in my house because that's not where I work. Yeah. And so, but even on weekends, if I did need to get work done, I went to the office and did mm. work from there. I didn't work from home because I always wanted to separate the two. Um, Mind you, you your home is uh, very close to your office, and you've got a three nice minutes fancy walk. Office yeah, <laughs> that's right. Three minutes walk. Yeah. How good. And your your offices are in the uh, CBD. Yeah. That's right on Martin Place. On Martin yeah, Place. just maybe two do- two doors up from the Tesla showroom. Oh, I have you. I've been thinking about getting a Tesla. Oh, really? Mm. Well, I if I was ever to get a car again, it would be a Tesla. But I. I don't drive anymore. I mean, it's, you don't need to. You live and work in the CBD. Exactly. I if I really need to go far, I'll catch public transport, or if I'm going even further, I'll hire a car. And so, what do you think is next for Commission Factory? How do you think that you're going to now? So you were you briefly described, I guess the oh no, sorry, you described the effects of the industry. How do you think it's going to change moving forwards? And how do you think you're going to have to adapt to that? Um, I think. We're going to focus more back on the technology and the user experience. So just as 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 retail is going to be experiential mm-hmm. going forward, we too need to make sure that we have great tech and we have a great experience for our clients. Because even if we were slow to respond to an email, they would probably forgive that if our platform was just the most amazing thing they've ever used. Yep. So, you know, you you can you can sort of weigh those things up. And we started as a technology company, purely technology, and then we evolved to also have to bring in service, you know, where we have managed accounts. We didn't begin that way. And we've been focusing so much on the on the client support and the account management, those types of things for so long now that we felt like we lost touch with our roots, which mm-hmm. was tech. So now that we feel like we've got the service taken care of, we're going to go back to tech now. And so that's going to be our, our our driving force going forward now, which is looking at our platform, looking at our technology. How can we make it better? Mm. How can we make it easier? And if we only have so many hours in a day, how can we save hours for our clients and for our team as well? Yeah, let's start prepping for the digital age. Mm, exactly. That's right. Automate as much as we can. Yeah. And yeah. Isn't it amazing how in business the pendulum kind of swings, like your focus yeah. will swing from one thing back yeah. to the next thing. It's it like I'm going to take uh, this from a five to a seven, then I'm going to swing back to this and take it from a seven to an eight, and then I'm going to swing back to the other one and take it from a mm-hmm. whatever it was, seven to a nine. And yeah. you, you keep, you, the pendulum swings depending on what the business needs. And thankfully we're still small enough that we can pivot 
if we need to. If this isn't working, then we'll do something else. We'll pivot yeah. again. And and I guess what what's your what's your dream for the business? What's we say your vision is? What would you say your goal is? The goal is that as we scale, we don't lose our identity and just become just another part of the machine. We would, we we have a great identity. We still are an approachable company, and I want to make sure that we keep that. But I, I, I also do want to expand a bit further afield as well. You know, so Australia, New Zealand. You know, we've done that one really well, and we we've got a lot of the market there. But you know, I do need to keep challenging us too. So that's why Southeast Asia is where I would really like to get into because it it's like how Australia was nine years ago when we started. It's a bit of a wild west mm-hmm. when it comes to this industry. There can be a lot of bad players in in the industry. So we clean things up as well because we set compliance and we set rules. So we cleaned it up here. Mm-hmm. Now it's time to go to Asia and we'll do the same thing there as well. well and that's why you opened the office in Kuala Lumpur. That's right, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and you, you, you've taken investment or no? We had a large company in um, the UK or Europe, um, mm-hmm. AWIN. So mm-hmm. in any other sense, they would we would be competitors. But we we actually worked really really well together. Um, um, you know, we had a strategic alliance that we put in place a number of years ago. It was like a dating period for mm-hmm. us because we knew where we wanted it to maybe head one day. But let's just see how we work together. Um, it was still important to me that the company or commission factory retains its identity and retains its culture. And so I want to make sure that AWIN would be the right company to make sure that happens. So I got a, I've had a taste of their culture for a mm-hmm. long for, for a number of years. So that's why last year they acquired a minority stake in Commission Factory, which um, you know kind of formalizes the dating. So maybe it's we'll consider this a proposal. Yeah. And you know we'll see if a marriage is further down yeah, the line. Yeah. But my team currently and their team get along really well, and I've met many members of AUN's team and, you know, they're really, really great people. So it feels like it's it's a good match. And before they before they formally invested mm-hmm. or acquired yeah. um, a part of the company, you mentioned you were working together. Was it you were, you were a strategic partnership or something mm-hmm. like that, were you? Yeah, that's right, exactly. So that was just working out ways that we can complement one another mm-hmm. without stepping on each other's toes as well. So it, it just we weren't going to go into the European market and AWIN wasn't going to come into the APAC market and complement one another. So if we had clients who wanted to work in Europe, which we don't have as many you know affiliates in that region, but AWIN is really strong, then at least we can say to our client, oh, well, AWIN be able to help you break into the UK. And market. is that how the conversation started as, a, as becoming partners for you to help them in yeah. Australia and then for them to help you in Europe? That's right. They, they, they did. They were, they were interested in how we can help facilitate that because going back maybe two or three years, there was just this sudden massive interest came on the APAC marketplace. Like everybody wanted to be here. Why? I think a lot of them bundled China in with that. Oh, okay. And so we did have to be clear and say, okay, yes, there's APAC and some people put China in there. I would dare say you've got to take China out. It is a whole different beast. Yeah. Like you you cannot treat it the same as the rest of Southeast Asia or Australia, you know, very different. So yeah. I think a lot of the, everyone was looking at China at the time, but, you know, that's not an easy market to break into. No. So I'd already said I don't have the manpower for China, but Southeast Asia, yes, I do. Wow. And, and, and I think that concept is really cool. Before you let someone invest in, in your business, mm-hmm. 
you have a bit of a dating period. Yeah. A bit of, hey, well, let's work together in some sense before we actually yeah, formalise right. this. Exactly. And we built a relationship. We understood one another mm-hmm. and, and culturally as well we could see that we're a fit because mm-hmm. that was that was the thing I didn't want to happen. I mean, Commission Factory is something I poured a lot of blood, sweat and tears into and it will be a legacy of sorts. So of I don't want to walk away or be taken out of the business for it to just come crumbling down. It's like that was nine years of my life mm. up to this point. Nine years. And do you have any advice for anyone that's worked in regards to working with business partners effectively or co-founders effectively? Because that Mm -hmm. can be some of the hardest – that can be one of the hardest things to actually do. Is there there something that's worked well for you guys or something Mm -hmm. that you found hasn't worked? I would definitely say as early as you can get your organisational structure in place. So when we started, we're all equal and we're all Mm co-founders. You cannot have three captains of the ship. No. You can only have the one. And so before we formalised our organisational structure, we were all equal and so there's a lot of infighting and disagreements and and unless you can get a majority vote on something, it doesn't happen. And so mm-hmm. therefore the company doesn't move. It just it's stuck where it is. So we had um, um, an external third party come in and sort of look at our skills as individuals as well and say well, what's, what's David good at, what's Mario good at, what's Zane good at. And um, that was where this third party eventually presented to everyone, said Zane should be the CEO. Oh, so you actually went and got a third party company to do that. That's a really clever way to do it because there's no discrepancies. That's right. And they are just looking purely on the merits of our skills that exist already or potential for for our skills. So, you know, you're not born a CEO. You have to learn on the job. But I had a desire to, to learn. Plus, I'm a bit controlling. So, <laughs> so well, you've so done a why. bloody good job so far. So, I'd say yes. they did a good. They made a good choice. I like to think that my leadership has been okay. Has yeah? <laughs> has it developed? Has it changed? Have you noticed? Oh, massively. Well, even the guy who originally came in to do that evaluation, six. They'll go back six years ago. I'd say now. Um, when he came in. I was a very different person to the person I am now. Mm. And so there were things I hated back then. Like I hated spreadsheets and numbers. I couldn't stand them. They mm. bored the hell out of me. But I learned to appreciate them a lot more and what they represent and what I can learn from them as well. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, yes, it's costing us more to acquire a client than what we're getting out of them. That's probably not good. <laughs> so, you know, learning those things was great. And then, you know, I still catch up with him every now and again now and he will still say, you are a very different person to the one I met six years ago. So I've learned, I've grown, Mm. but I've also aged in that time as well. So, you know, knowledge and experience, you know, just comes with it. It just takes time. Like all things, like like a business being successful, like building the right team, like everything, Mm. becoming a better leader, it just takes time and it takes reflection. You know, what was, did I do good? Did I do good? Did I do bad? What, mm-hmm. what, I shouldn't have said yeah. that. I shouldn't, you know, right. I, I can learning relate. from your mistakes yeah. as well. I mean, and I've made a lot of them. Yeah. So, but the, the key thing is as long as I learn from As long them. as you learn, just don't yeah. make them again. That's yeah. my big thing. Yeah, exactly. Matey, before we wrap up, do you want to maybe share um, one last thought to leave the listeners with and the members with or, mm-hmm. or, or one last tip or lesson? Um mm-hmm. And before you do that, actually, you want to give us a book, a book that you would recommend? Sure. Um, I recently just finished one and it was actually a follow-up or supplemental to a masterclass that I took online. So it's called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Mm-hmm. Great book. 
and really, really changed my understanding of human psychology when it comes to negotiation and the words to use and not use. So it was very, very fascinating read. It, I mean, relatively small book, but he's he's an ex-FBI negotiator. Mm-hmm. So this is a person who has to get people out of a building alive. So the pressure is high. So the tactics that they created, you know, to do that, um, you know, is really, really fascinating. And so I loved that book. That Chris Voss. Chris Voss. Yeah. Was that from Masterclass? The website or yeah masterclass.com yeah, yeah so he, he does a that. course on there yeah, yeah. about negotiation yeah. and so i saw that negotiation course and well him and uh, what did i go there for anna wintour i love anna wintour she's my fa- <laughs> so, she's actually my favorite business leader on the planet yeah so i i really really admire her and yeah. so and i read her book and then i saw that there was masterclass and so i paid like a year subscription for this yeah so, so i i went there for her then I also found Chris Voss. I was fascinated by the insight he had. And so then I also followed up by reading his book. And so, yeah. I'll tell you what, there's one other person on there that's really good. Um, Bob Eager. Oh, from who's Disney. Who's the CEO of Disney. Yeah, he does one on strategy, which mm-hmm. is, I actually haven't listened to it, but, uh, or sorry, I haven't I haven't got it, but done it. But um, I've read his book and I've listened to him on a few podcasts and he's he's a really, he, he's renowned to be one of the best CEOs. Yeah. Um, Ever, period. Maybe I should watch him first before I do the Gordon Ramsay cooking master. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that well, one. Well, it depends. On there. Depends. Yeah. Can you cook? Can you cook or not? Well, I can go back to restaurants now, so now yeah, I don't care. Fuck the master. <laughs> exactly. Save I'm yourself. not cooking anymore. Spend that on the chef. <laughs> That's right. Um, and what about one last lesson to leave the listeners with? Um, let's see. Knowledge is always really important. So I would always say it's the keep learning. But also um, in terms of Something that I live my life by is 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 how I strategize and how I come to my decisions, and that's implementing so this this mental model called Occam's Razor. So it's simplified. It's um, all things being equal, the simplest answer is usually the right one. What does that mean? What's Occam's Razor? So that's essentially it's this philosophical model. So yeah. and and essentially that's it. They're all things being equal. The simplest answer is usually the right one. So it's about saying when things get overcompli- overcomplicated, it's hard to implement. You know, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, trying to find a particular theory, the more complex it becomes, the harder it is to understand. And even then, you know, when it comes to solutions as well, the more complicated they are, the harder they are to implement. Mm-hmm. So it's always about trying to find the simple way to get to where you need to be. So the simplest answer, usually the right one. 100%. Then, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And- yeah, we, we say that a lot at Cub too. Whatever's yeah. easiest for us is better for the members because yeah. it means we're going to do a better job at it. That's right. Or some people used to say, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, I yeah. like that. So, like so that. yeah, that's how I strategize, keep it simple. And and that's also how you tell people are lying as well because the more complex their response is, then the more likely it is yeah. to be made up. That's a really good one. <laughs> say it simple, otherwise you're lying. Yeah, that's right. Keep don't go into detail. Yeah. The moment that they start going into a lot of detail, you yeah. know they're lying. They're coming up with excuses. And yeah, they're... exactly. How yeah. good. Love it. All right, my man, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Uh, hey, no, wait, sorry. Before I finish, mm. I want to ask you, because yeah. you've been a member for Cup for so long. Yeah. Why did you join? What have you loved about it? What are some success stories you've had? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I was locked in my office too much. And yep. so I wanted an opportunity to meet new people. And because I've always believed it's not – what you know, it's who you know yeah. as well. So so it was an opportunity to meet people, but not just I've been to other clubs or, or get togethers where they're, you know, I guess newbies. Mm. And but I, I 
I'm past that point now. And whereas a CEO or an ex- executive level, you have you have unique challenges and things that maybe you can't talk to others about. Mm-hmm. So to be able to mingle with people at that sort of level, the level I was at, that was really what I wanted because, you know, we all face challenges and we have problems that that maybe only somebody who's experienced that can help you solve. And then, like I said, I've made every mistake, I, I believe. So at least what I've learned from that, Hopefully, I can impart knowledge on others too. So, exactly. the networking was going to be was really important, and and it worked well for you. It was exactly what you were looking for. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been great. I've, I've, I, you know, I, I use services of, of the club members mm. as well because some of them I'm like I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Um, and so then I'm like that sounds interesting. Can I? Can 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 we have that? Awesome. Yeah. So awesome. that that's been really fantastic. Amazing. Well, thank you for for being a member for. For uh, so long now, and, and thank you for your time today. Absolutely, it's been brilliant to our listeners. I hope you enjoyed the show. Have a good day.